Well, it's a fact of life that siblings squabble. Look at Liam and Noel or Kane and Dable. Well, we ain't got a bandana, don't wanna kill you. But we'll sit and chat and argue about cinema reviews. Who is right? Is it me or him? Well, you were always mother's favourite. Are you still singing that hymn? Prepare for a battering, it's time for the squabblings! Hello and welcome back to Squabblings, the sibling podcast where we talk about all manner of film and TV, good and bad, with a parody song thrown in just for the bands. Hi Tom, how are you? I am good, how are you? Oh, I'm doing absolutely fantastic. We're on episode two already. Episode Can you two. believe it? Oh, right. Before we start off this episode, there's a couple of word of thanks that we need to put out. Uh, first of all, can we say a big, big thank you to Ben Nightingale at Babatat Studios for designing our fucking fantastic logo i think it looks fucking fantastic <laughs> do you think it looks fucking fantastic <laughs> ladies and gentlemen fucking fantastic yes. yeah do check out his website and his page he does some really fantastic designs and he is available for any manner of work that you want to commission of him yes indeed wonderful uh second of all we are now completely up and running on twitter instagram and facebook under squabblings that's s-q-u-a-b-l-i-n-g and if you want to contact us and send us a message or possibly a recommendation for a future episode, you can email us at squabblingspodcast at gmail.com. And that's opening us, for, us up for how many dominoes, uh, emails, <laughs> <laughs> people sending us junk mail. Yeah, I can't, we, I can't guarantee I'll read them. <laughs> well, I will read If it makes you feel I'll... better... Email us, yeah. If it makes you feel better. <laughs> All right, are we ready to kick it off? Absolutely. Let's get to it. So, what movie are you talking about today, Tom? So today we have the Christopher Nolan film Interstellar. Interstellar. Now, I'm just going to put it out there. I am a massive, hardcore sci-fi fan. I love sci-fi. And actually, I think this is Sorry, one of the... Sorry, you, you mispronounced nerd. Oh, yeah. So, so basically, I could just say I'm a pretentious nerd. Oh, my God, I love sci-fi. Mrs. Simpson, we all have nosebleeds. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, I think this is one of the best films of the decade. And me and Charlotte are going to have a little bit of an argument. See, the title for this episode was Interstellar, Pretentious or Masterpiece. Yeah, see, this this episode is really going to be the zenith of what Squabblings is all about. Because I before I watched it again uh, with Tom, I had tried to watch Interstellar about three times beforehand and gave up about halfway through because I thought, this is just pretentious crap. And I don't think you'd be alone. If you were to go on the internet yeah, and type in something no. like Interstellar into YouTube... Half of the first things that come up will be Interstellar Explained it's, or Interstellar ex- Ending Explained. It's a hard film to, it's, to understand. It's very divisive, isn't it? And yes. I think quite nicely, you and I fell on either side of that division. Yes, very much. <laughs> Until I watched it again with you. <laughs> yes, so Charlotte was dead set against it. And then in the end, I won. I, yeah. I won... <laughs> It was glorious vindication after watching it the whole way through and actually paying attention to it. Charlotte said she liked it. So we're going to have a little discussion about why it's so good. Are you ready for the introduction to this film? Yes. Go ahead. 
Tell us a little bit about that. So, uh, in Earth's future, a global crop blight and second dust bowl are slowly rendering the planet uninhabitable. Professor Brand, pay, paid by uh, Michael Caine, Michael, Michael Caine, Michael Caine, a brilliant NASA physicist, uh, is working on plans to save mankind by transporting Earth's population to a new, uh, new home via a wormhole. <laughs> I don't know why that's funny. But... A wormhole. Sham men so, just want to do interstellar travel, Master Bridge. Sham men just want to launch rockets, yes. Master Bridge. <laughs> sham men just want to scream Murph into a black hole. <laughs> so uh, this film was co-written and co-produced by Christopher Nolan. It stars Matthew McConaughey, all right, all Anne right. Hathaway, Jessica Chastain, Bill Irwin, Ellen Burstyn, Matt Damon, and the aforementioned mm. Mark Caine. Yeah. Uh, it premiered on the 26th of October 2014. Yes. It had an original budget of $165 million and made worldwide $677.5 million. So it was a regular old blockbuster. It was, it was a big film. It was one of the biggest films of 2014. Mm. I remember there was huge traction around it when it first, when it first came out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think even when it came out, people were already considering this film to be a modern day classic indeed i think so yeah yeah it was along the you were either in that camp weren't you or you were it just totally went over your head or maybe it didn't go over your head but Um, you hated it anyway here we go here's the kind of the 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 the, the nerdist elitism already at play with this (laughs) either you liked it or it just went over your head because you weren't clever enough (laughs) well maybe it it. didn't go over your head but you just don't know what good film is good good cinema is and here we go (laughs) okay well ladies and gentlemen if you were to honestly sit down and think has christopher nolan made a bad film the answer you'd come to would probably be no, wouldn't it? I th- Do you know what? Nolan's style of filmmaking is marmite-ish and you either love it and think he is the best fucking director out there. Yeah, Christopher Nolan for you president. Are apathetic yeah. about yeah. it. And I kind of fall more into the camp of being apathetic. And I'll go on to mention this a little bit later, but there are certain things about his cinematography especially that kind of get on my nerves a little bit. But... With that being said, shall we start comparing notes? Yes, indeed. So as you said, we start on Earth in the not-too-distant future, I'm guessing maybe 30 to 40 years from now. Yeah, it gave the impression of of the not-too-distant future. Yeah. That, that, That Earth was still recognizable yes and identifiable as our home your home absolutely yeah and <laughs> also i kind of sat down to watch this film with a bit of a a bit of a a, a vendetta and some of my first notes are me obviously hating on this film so i say <laughs> silent credits and already i hate this movie's aesthetic <laughs> what's What's wrong with silent credits? Because it's pretentious. It, it yeah. lets you know that this is a serious piece of drama. It, it's not detracting from the story with gimmick, is it? Yeah. It's going straight to the meat and bones. Oh, the sound... But but no, it wasn't silent. No, I, I, I tell a lie. There was this kind of... The tuning of a hearing aid sound over the top of the credits. And it, it, it's very, very faint to begin with. 
<laughs> he's that's a synthesizer. Terrible. That's like most of the soundtrack is like I'll ambient tell you what, synthesizer. If you want, if you want to very quickly identify a pretentious fucking film, silent film credits, <laughs> a droning ear piercing ear piercing noise, and, and maybe some kind of interview style documentary talk happening in the first couple of seconds, and you know what, guys. Interstellar had all of those uh, three. <laughs> I have to disagree. And I, I think the film started on a very nice, slow note. As, as you'll see with this film, it it ramps up very, very gradually until basically most of the action happens in the last 30%. So it's, <laughs> it's sort of letting us in for the fact that it is a bit of a slow start. Mm-hmm. But also, I think the beginning looks beautiful. Oh, well, I I started off looking at the you know the documentary style interviews that they're doing with the older people to introduce the world to introduce the premise of yes. the second dust bowl. And they're they're talking about the climate as it yeah. was on now, Earth at that time. Because I tried to watch this film three times and failed, I I had written down in my notes, oh, they use this documentary style editing and then they never use it again, and then it kind of all <laughs> tied in towards yeah. the end of the film, and I thought, oh. Fuck, that's that, that, that's what's great about this film. You you think lots of it, it sneaks are loose you. ends, yes. but then they're all very nicely tied in a neat little bow at the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah, and that got on my nerves so much, and then it just it just redeemed itself in the last thirty minutes. It's beautiful. <laughs> um, but let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the actors um, in this, all right. especially. Matthew, Mc- <laughs> Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> right. I mumble so much in this goddamn film. Just... <laughs> Do you remember when Matthew McConaughey didn't used to be a serious actor? I think Interstellar was maybe one of the first films where I thought, actually, oh, Matthew McConaughey can now seriously it was, act, it was, he? it was Interstellar and it was Dallas Buyers Club that I yes, think really yeah. sent his career up on a trajectory. And if I had to choose which film I think he made a better performance in, I think it would be this one. Absolutely, uh, yeah. But, yeah, I can't... For, I, but it's such a it's such a letdown that half the time you just can't understand what he's saying <laughs> i don't think this is an issue with him i think there's a lot this happens a lot in the film and i think it was a direction thing where christopher nolan wants these really intimate small moments yes, against yes. the vastness of space so he wants the volume of the characters to be lower but, so but you they have just to really pay attention almost yes, to what they're but, saying but they just we several times thought, I can't, can't hear what he's saying. What the hell did he say? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, do you think that was intentional to create that sense of like fragility and smallness? Somewhat. And m- maybe if you were to see Interstellar in a cinema, as is intended, maybe you can just understand it be- better than we could at home. But it, se- it seems a little bit strange to me that, yeah. th- that he didn't just say ever once, I- oh, just enunciate a bit more yeah Matt. just a little bit more because this is a film medium and the audience do need to understand what the fuck you just but, said but at times <laughs> Anne Hathaway was doing it as well and Michael Caine did it and, as well yeah and Michael Caine yeah they all yeah so it, that could have been um, a, a direction <laughs> <laughs> he never just hey, said you know remember just... Juilliard enunciate to the back Michael <laughs> four years at drama school down the spout <laughs> Uh, but kind of going on from that theme about the the, the sense of fragility and smallness that yeah. he created, I I loved it, and that was a theme that kind of ran throughout the film. Um, 
especially like I'm thinking of, for instance, when the, when they're at the the baseball game, yeah, and uh, you, they pan towards who the team is that they're watching, and you think it's like a minor league game, and it's the New York Yankees. It's the Yankees. New York Knicks. And you, oh, it's the, yeah, it's the yeah, Yankees. It's the Yankees, isn't it? Isn't it? New York Knicks. Is so- and let's just turn to the window and wave goodbye to all of the Americans listening. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> It was nice having you for an episode and a bit. Never meet an American. They admit that baseball's a slow game as well, don't they? I love baseball. I love baseball. Really? I went to see I went to see the, the the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees play in London last year. I really liked it. I'm not a sporty person. I I've, I've never really gone to see professional sport being but played. But did you before. like really the spectacle it. of a baseball game? You wouldn't watch that on TV, would you? You go to eat a hot dog <laughs> and buy a giant hand and go, Wahey! And whenever they do take the me dip. out to the ball game yeah, with 50,000 exactly. other people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was good fun, actually. <laughs> yeah, so, so ba- baseball's a bit slow, but back to the film. <laughs> Back to the New anyway, York, back to the, film. the New York um, Yankees. The New York Yankees, and uh, yeah, so that that was a, a moment in the film that that hit me about the the the, the sense of fragility about the world, uh, the, the the world on Earth that he'd created, how everything had been tapered back mm. so much. Because um, you can see from that that any entertainment or leisurely yes. activities like watching. Major League Sports yeah. were basically stripped back to nothing, weren't they? So small and very very quick, but but very instantly Subtle. expanded the world and uh, and built this this world up yeah. um I, I just, the 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 best moments for me in that first kind of third of the film is the conversations that he has with the grandfather mm, yeah and uh, those kind of moments where they sit on the porch together drinking a beer mumbling to each other <laughs> and, uh, and that that relationship that they create um both both of them uh, really fantastic and it's up. it's subtle isn't it like with a lot of sci-fi films mm-hmm. bad sci-fi films especially they have to say in the year 2025 the great dust blight happened yes yeah <laughs> you know what i'm yeah and that is that never happens with, with this genre of film you get a when you have too much exposition like and when you fall too much into the the the, the tell don't show yeah, that is when your movie gets a little bit lacking. Yeah. But Interstellar, I thought, really did that nicely. And uh, but and even in some of the some of the lines that I, I wrote down, especially when McConaughey says, uh, "You know, we used to look up to the sky and wonder about um, our place our in planet. the stars." Yeah, uh, yeah. Now, now we look down and worry about our place in the dirt. Yeah. And I thought, oh, that's a good line. Ooh, it's, it's poetic, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's good. Yeah, it's very, very good. But also, it doesn't scream Oscar bait. I think. Do you not think so? No, I think it does a little bit. I mean, it it's was a, little bit it was a, tra- it was a trailer <laughs> line. I think it was a trailer line, but it's not like it didn't make me want to puke. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Although sometimes though, you got a little bit of uh, of of tonal shift and a little bit of um, uh, like when he's arrested and the lights come up and there's that weird kind of cuboid robot thing. Yeah. You're suddenly thrown back into that. Oh, this is a oh, sci-fi film. Oh, it is a sci-fi film, film. Yeah. yeah. Like sometimes you could be in another Christopher Nolan film about, yes. about somebody in middle yeah. America. So, so sometimes that would jar on me a little bit. And, and yeah, and sometimes it would come kind of screaming back to you. I was like, oh, oh yeah, we are watching a sci-fi mm. flick here. Uh, and, and it took a little bit of adjusting to... Yeah, there's another great moment that I loved, which I thought this is really great, subtle world building, which is when Matthew McConaughey is having a conversation with the two teachers in the school oh, yes, about his daughter, Murph. And, and the one teacher 
has obviously eaten up like a spoonful of sugar what the government have put out there, mm. which is that America never went to the moon. It's been a hoax yeah. the whole and time. And obviously they put that out there to, to, to stop any interest in science yeah. so that people would just get busy farming mm-hmm. and get busy saving the world rather than thinking about things like interstellar yeah, travel. Because, because they're, they, say, yeah, they, they say Murph has brought in an old textbook. An old federal textbook and about the, the, new, the moon yeah, landings. And the new textbook has, has obviously tried to rewrite history. Mm. And uh, yeah. And so, <laughs> just so, just whilst we're on the topic of Murph and, yeah. and Matt McConaughey, <laughs> this is something that I noticed a little bit that a lot of attention is given into his relationship with Murph. Yes. And the, the, the father's-daughter relationship there. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> yeah, what am I going to say? <laughs> <laughs> so in the end credits, it will just say uh, Cooper and then Murph and then other son. <laughs> and then his <laughs> Other son. child. <laughs> I love both my children equally. I love, I love Murph, Murph and, and I love... Uh... Tom, Tim, Tom, Tom, Tom. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> yeah, I do kind of feel that his relationship with his son wasn't focused on as much. But maybe that's because he's older. He needs less nurturing yes. in that way. And like I also it. appreciate that Murph is the the central protagonist and yeah. the link back to the past. Yeah, it's her and... story. It's not really Tom's story. So, no. but Tom does get a story a little bit later about his reluctance to leave. A little and bit, but he just turns his... into a tool, doesn't he? <laughs> A little bit of a tool. A little bit of a tool, yeah. A little tiny little tool. This is, I think, one of the main problems of this film, and this is why, initially, I lost my drive to watch it beforehand. It's it's very it's a very meandering film, mm. and it takes a long time to get going. Yeah, very slow. I think this film is about 30 to 45 minutes too long. <laughs> do you think? I do. I, I think a lot well, of... We st- I kept a small timer going. Yeah. And I think it was about 40 minutes in before a movie called Interstellar, they even went into space. Exactly. But but would a lot of that world building have been lost uh, if that time had been cut So it's short? necessary, isn't it? Yes, but, but in this film you needed to create a sense of urgency because they talk about the Earth dying and people dying. And even when Mike, Michael Caine was walking through the NASA station with McConaughey and talking about you know Earth's death, mm. I still didn't have a sense of urgency. And I think that is what it was lacking, especially in that middle section. Or maybe they're building... Section. Maybe they're building subliminal tension that you're like, when are they going to solve the problem? They need to do something. So when they finally do, it's more of a release of tension. I get that. But also you do need to kind of, you need to think about pacing. Because I can't imagine what I would have been like if I actually went to see this in the cinema. And, you know, you get numb ass, and by that time you've, <laughs> you've run out of your popcorn. Yeah. I wonder how many pee. people it lost. Yeah, because they, they left before... The before grand it really crescendo. Kicked off, yeah. yeah. Before the ending. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've got a good tagline for this movie, uh, but I'm not going to say it until later because I think it's it's kind of. <laughs> okay. I was thinking of this one anyway. But uh, talking about um, uh, so again going back to some of the actors in this, uh, the person that some of the, some of the people that really stood out for me, I love Dan Hathaway's performance and I love Matthew McConaughey's performance, yeah. despite his mumble mumble uh, talk. Okay. <laughs> I can't barely and, hear a thing. Uh, child Murph, I thought was really good because you know how child actors it's so difficult can be real working child actors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Case in point, Harry Potter. We all love them, but. We know the acting performances aren't Oscar bait, are they? 
<laughs> yeah, Mackenzie Foy is her name, and I thought she did such a good job. Yeah. And she, I, I, I'll, I'll come back and, and that, her I, a bit later. I think something like that is because it's handled with great care by Christopher Nolan. Mm-hmm. I think at the core of it, what this movie shows is that he understands people and the, the intertwinement, if that's even a word, of their relationships. Intertwining of their relationships. Of their relationships. Yeah. yeah. But he does that really well in some cases, but again, completely wasted relationship with his son. Similarly, <laughs> I didn't get, I didn't really get the bond between father-daughter between Anne Hathaway and Professor Brand yes that again was something that could have been expanded upon a little bit but anyway the movie finally gets going when when we kick off into space yeah (laughs) this so the alarm bells for pretentious (laughs) hoo-ha bullshit sounded off (laughs) when everything filmed from outside the spacecraft in space again dead silent yes but in fact, now you're going to sit there. Any and tell physicist me that. would say that yeah. sound waves don't travel across well, the vacuum I'm of space. I'm a nerd, and I know that there isn't any sound in space, <laughs> and that is actually 100% accurate. Yeah, but, but that I'm is what you see. Li- I'm not watching a live stream of the of the space station. I'm watching a movie. No, but <laughs> the universe Interstellar is set in is that it's meant to be believable as our timeline, 40 years in the future. So you have got to think. Think about today. True, but this the space is still program a visual today, medium. I... Yes, but think about the space program today. Because of the cut-in funding, mm-hmm. the technology from the space program today is still basically the same as it was in the mid-70s. Like, they've only just phased, phased out the Saturn V rocket in, in favour of the SpaceX thing, haven't they? Oh, hang on. There's a mighty apparition coming through. Thomas, this is the voice of post-production hindsight. Oh, all right. What you in fact mean is the Russian Soyuz rocket used until recently to ferry payloads to the International Space Station. Saturn five, fucking two. Well, thank you, voice of post-production hindsight. Anyway, so I, so for me, it's not unbelievable that say 30 to 40 years from now we're living in sort of a similar world where space exploration isn't so far-fetched from what we know Mm. it's going to be silent in the vacuum of space (laughs) there are some things you can't you can't absolutely absolutely but then why put your poncy little poem over the top of it rage rage against the dying of the light rage against the dying of the light you know what that poem's about yeah old age death and old age yeah. ah but that's t- the overarching theme of the film is time isn't it so of course a perfect fit some would say yeah very nice yes if you're writing uh, a middle school uh, <laughs> film review about the themes in sir this. i wrote a play <laughs> you know, it's got words worth in it i often feel a little bit weird talking about overarching themes or what was the director trying to draw attention to what themes was he trying mm. to use because mm. it does always come across as a little bit of you know g GCSE media studies question <laughs> uh, when we talk about things Here's like that. Here's my free paragraph essay about the themes of time the in themes Interstellar. Of, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then again, we've talked about that feeling of smallness and fragility that he's created as well as, yeah, time obviously is a big on-running thing as well. Um, and what was the other thing that I thought he did actually quite well? Oh, that lovely kind of balance between what we consider science and then what we consider to be supernatural. Yeah. Yeah. So what most of Christopher Nolan's stuff focuses on in this film 
is not necess- is, is sort of the cusp of human knowledge. Mm. So some of the things which people generally don't care to p- pay particular attention to in a sci-fi film, things like how the crafts work, mm-hmm. like how the spaceships work, uh, they're not really focused on, are they? Like the designs for the spaceship. What what he likes to focus on, I think, is the concepts the stro- the scientists are struggling with at the moment, and that's things like Newtonian physics, dimensional physics, and so on, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <Sure. laughs> this, this, see, this, this right here highlights one of the problems with the film. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I love the film. Listen, that, that's clear. I'm just a simple. I'm I'm a simple person. I don't, <laughs> I don't understand. Know about I don't understand a lot of this science garb. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what's this relativity? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so this this highlights that with the film, you're better off going into it with a reasonable degree of scientific literacy. I was just about to say, yeah, you need a, a certain level of scientific understanding like if you have an a-level in physics you can shove down everyone's throat that you got interstellar (laughs) can't you you have an a-level in physics (laughs) get yourself a little badge i got interstellar i understood interstellar (laughs) get a tattoo across your forehead i understand interstellar But yeah, and I think you kind of do need that basic scientific knowledge, especially when they get into like the the interdimensional aspects of the of the film and the the, the beings that live in five mm. dimensions. I love whenever they talk about the the so called aliens. Mm-hmm. They always refer to them as they or them, don't they? Yes. And that sort of adds a real aspect of mystique to it. Like they're, they're not trying to. Slap labels on it like Klingons or so and so. They haven't named it. They, yeah. It puts a, a very ethereal, heavenly edge almost on it, doesn't it? Yeah, they and that kind of links back very nicely to the ghost motif uh, in the first third mm. of the film. And yeah, yeah, it it is kind of uh, it's sitting nicely on that boundary of what we don't understand as as our scientific theory often sits in the realm of of the supernatural yeah and you know ghosts as as they say in the film is is just something that we have not put scientific Mm. labeling and theory to like at the start of the film it is a ghost or ghost ghost in quotation and then by the end of the film we know it's matthew mcconaughey inside (laughs) from inside the tesseract bookcase which is really weird screaming murph from the other side of the books <laughs> Don't let me leave, Murph. Don't let me leave. Don't let me leave like this, Murph. Murph. <laughs> no, I do think that yeah, the, but but the, the emotion and the, and the kick really gets going about one and a half hours into the film, and that... God, a lot of films are over by that point. Exactly. Exactly. Stuart Little 2 is one hour and 15 minutes long. <laughs> oh, yeah, that masterpiece <laughs> of filmmaking. <laughs> Don't ask me why I know that. <laughs> Stuart <laughs> Little 2, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. But, yeah, no, what makes this movie strong is the kind of the emotional links between people and not yes getting bogged down in how does this thing work or how does that thing work or how does the 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 physics work for this aspect but yeah the okay so i've written down here that the emotional highlight of this film is when uh they come back from the first planet and 23 years have passed Mm. and they're and matt matt mcconaughey is sitting and watching the messages from his family yeah He's like watching his entire life roll by in Skype calls. Well, they're, they're, yes, yeah. yeah, like their life rolled by in front of him and, and age literally right before his eyes. And that that's something that, that is so, so 
such a weird concept. And then he does that weird kind of cry laugh thing <laughs> that kind of took me out of the moment we, for a little we, bit. Um, we sort of disagreed about the weird Matthew McConaughey cry laugh thing because <laughs> I thought it was a it was good directing because it, if you were to actually get somebody in that situation, it wouldn't be like Hollywood blubbery tears. It would be a very nat- sort of visceral and I suppose cry reaction and you, I think he acted that very well yeah well you was you, you would have joy at seeing your children grow up and have children of their own and mm. then you will also have that sadness the immense sadness there, that that you've missed their life yeah, essentially you've been on a planet for an hour whilst 23 years have gone by yeah Team did their re- 
last third of the film now we've already talked about the crescendo of the last third of this film but the pace does reduce to a meander again after um after michael kane's death and you think that it kind of crescendoed up nicely i think Mm. this film was very stoppy starty in terms of its pacing really I did, yeah. And uh, the the last half an hour or so, that was that was good emotional payoff. But then there were there were moments where I was thinking, God, am I still watching the same film? Yeah, <laughs> it, it, nothing basically happens with with apart from the death of Doyle, mm-hmm. and and that's the problem. No one had got to know Doyle well enough. <laughs> so some of you might even be saying, Who, Who is, is Doyle? Doyle? <laughs> Which one was Doyle? He's that. Uh, he's that guy from he's Who's the, dude the Hunger from Games? The Hunger Games. <laughs> yeah, with with the perfectly trim beard, mm-hmm. who dies on the giant wave planet, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah, he gets yes. he gets uh, taken out by a giant wave. He, he suffers from Chumpington's disease. Yeah, he gets he gets chumped by a tidal force. By a wave. That, that's yeah. a whole new low, isn't it? You get chumped by a wave. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and and then the pace slackens again when they're waiting for the next wave and the engine to reboot mm, but but that's what i'm saying the, 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 apart from that moment maybe there aren't many moments of real stakes are there or tension mm. basically the first proper moment of tension we see is when they get to dr man's planet and dr man tries to kill cooper isn't it oh king of the chins yeah matt damon, Ma- matt damon the crimson chin the crimson yeah. chin <laughs> yeah the ch- the, all hail the chin of chins yeah. see this is something that uh, i said i've mentioned before about his um about nolan's cinematography but i i did think that the whole color palette of the mm. film was quite gray desaturated isn't it yes yeah. and this is something that happens in lots of his other films i'm thinking in particular his batman films mm. And I was I was looking at this and thinking, God, this is so great. They're like they went from the water planet mm. to the ice planet. And... Well, subliminally, you're meant to think it's not our world. Yes. Like it's reinforcing that because yeah, the, again, the Earth is GC- so full of yeah, colour, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, no, I get. We get our GCSE level uh, of analysis here. That grey 
and Y are meant to symbolise <laughs> an uninhabitable world. And because there's no colour, that means that we can't live there. Like, yeah, I get that. And then, of course, the planet that is inhabitable has all of these oranges and browns on yeah, it, of course. Yeah. But again, I thought it... Uh, yeah, yeah. But what, what sure. I like about the aesthetics sure. of the film uh, is that a lot of the time, sci-fi films have this sort of mono climatization of the the world they're showing you mm-hmm. so for example like this in, is the, in this star is the wars, star wars syndrome isn't yeah. it it's like yeah. like in star wars hoth is a nice planet they yes. never think oh maybe the planet has more than one climate camino yeah. is the ocean planet yeah tatooine is the, <laughs> the sandy sand planet coruscant is the city city yeah. planet endor is a forest yeah and uh, to some degree, this film is like that. Maybe that's a tradition in sci-fi because mm. if you have so many worlds, like in the known universe, you have to make them recognisable yes. instantly. Instant- so they need to have their thing. Because if every world was like Earth, where it had some desert and mm. some ice and some forest climate, some arid, you know, some arid, some some tropical, you just think, well, they're all the same. What's the point of having all these different places? Yeah, you? true. I get that. So I, I like that for the viewer. Because there's enough to deal with inside your brain with this one. They, <laughs> yeah. they, he somewhat simplifies the aesthetics by yes. just having, well, this this planet is icy, this one is watery, and this one is sort of like Earth, but not really at the, the end. They call that the, I was just thinking, this one is too wet, this one is too cold, <laughs> yeah. but this one is just right. It's like, yeah, it's the that's, Goldilocks zone. Call, yes, the, Goldi- the Goldilocks zone. Yes, yeah. the Goldilocks zone. That's, that, that's literally what physicists call it, isn't it? A planet yeah. that is just right for inside the habitable zone habitable around a star yeah yeah, yeah the goldie where you're not too cold and you're not too hot you're, you're in the goldie zone just Lisa. right mm. <laughs> and where the oceans are made of porridge <laughs> and, and kill, but killer bears roam Rivers free. Rivers of golden syrup <laughs> <laughs> yeah ready to eat anybody that sleeps in their bed <laughs> now that's a good sci-fi book <laughs> Interstellar 2 Interstellar 2 the goldie rise of so. the ice bears yeah. <laughs> So are you are you ready for my uh, my little sound bite for my summary of this film? I think this is fucking genius. Go on then. I'll see if so, I'll see if I'm ultimately offended by it. This movie. Hang on. I'm just going to practice okay, okay, my my okay. my offense scoff. Ugh. No, no, no. <laughs> Try again. No, no. Try again. Oh. Well, better. Better. <laughs> oh, really? That's that's the no, one. No, got go. it. Yeah. Right. Go ahead. So, <laughs> this movie is like a Jim Steinman song. So if you don't know, Jim Steinman is the guy who writes Meatloaf's songs. Yeah. So this movie is like a Jim Steinman song. Stoppy starty, poetic and pretty, but a little too long and pretentious for my taste. <laughs> oh, oh, really? But but Jim Steinman, one of the best. Lots of organ as well. <laughs> yeah, lots of, lots of organ. Lots of Can organ. we just take a moment to before the end to appreciate Hans Zimmer? And was how, it Zimmer who who um yeah who who did, who did the music for this film? Yeah, I did think that that he, he absolute must he pulled a lot of this from he pulled a lot of the inspiration for this from two thousand and one, a space odyssey, and there were different times in that film where I thought oh, Zimmer's got a real hard on for two thousand and one, space to, odyssey hasn't to he? some degree, but the, there will always be certain sci-fi movie tropes. Yes, like very eerie long strings. Or yeah, using no, the, the 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 music for this film was fucking fantastic. Mm. I had just I'd heard a lot of the motifs before. Is what I'm saying. Well, mate, yeah, but what actually? What's great about this film for, for viewers that don't know? Here's a lovely little nugget which tells you about the level of oh, detail. Lovely little nugget. 
the, mm, the level of detail they'd go into for this film. So on the water planet, which oh, yes, is okay. near to the black hole. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Uh, this is never even mentioned, but in in soundtrack, there's a ticking sound, and this what, was put uh, in. That's every one point seven seconds. Yes, it's yeah. every one point seven seconds. And what was subliminally meant to be put across with this film is that every second, apparently, that ticks in the soundtrack is one week on Earth. I think isn't it's a it? day. Or it might be a week or a day passing. Right. Yeah. So one tick at that point in the soundtrack is meant to symbolise one day passing on Earth. Yeah. I, I, it's handled really well and yeah. w- what I also like about it is no one before this have they ever really paired church organ with space <laughs> it's such an I unobvious mean... pairing of instrumentation isn't it for the setting and I think he sort of rewrote the genre with that I know you like to listen to this uh, this soundtrack when you're in the car <laughs> yeah, this is my late night 120 miles on the M6 soundtrack <laughs> it's just bombing it to some <laughs> like if, if I reach 88 do I go back in time <laughs> <laughs> I think like yeah before we just round off it's, it's uh, important to mention that this was one of those films that you know when you've watched it with somebody and you just have to like sit and talk about the film for a bit and uh, we we need to mention that when we had all finished watching this film as a family we had to go out in the car and go driving because all three of us were just sitting there with our minds on the on the wall absolutely blown (laughs) yeah and that that is quite a rare experience for me now in film watching very rarely do i watch a film and i'm i'm sitting there like fuck but i think that's basically because it partly is to do with the pacing that they hold back don't they right till the very end and then they give you both barrels from both guns all at the same time yeah, and it just this, blows your an, mind it's an edging thing isn't it and yeah. you think they get you think they get there so many times and then they pull back and then okay, yeah. and then they're finally oh fuck and then oh it's just oh my god <laughs> <laughs> oh tesseract bookcase oh, mind blown he was the handshake oh, oh god <laughs> 53 years in the black hole oh. so shall we do the quaskers Time for the Quaskers. It's time for the Quaskers. Who's the best and who's the worst? The Academy don't know shit. We shall Oscars, the quick Oscars, where we give our awards to who we think is deserving of them. So, mm. uh, best in film. I think we're going to be. It's got to be Matt McConaughey. It's got to be Matt undoubtedly. McConaughey. Yeah. yeah. As yeah, he, he turns in a career best for this. Yeah. This this was a, a step up for him, and I think as much as before this he was an A-lister. After this, I thought he suddenly enters the elite of acting. Doesn't yes. He? Yeah. He, yeah. He becomes versatile. Mm-hmm. You know, because before this he just sort of does like. Silly films or comedy roles. Yeah, or... rom-coms, yeah. And this, for him, I think really showcased his ability and absolute pinnacle acting there was that that moment when he was watching those videos from his children. Yeah. And, oh, fucking brilliant. Just, just, fucking brilliant. just amazing, yeah. What about uh, worst in film? This is a difficult oh, one. Oh, worst, worst in the film. As much as I thought she was good... I feel like Anne Hathaway's character was wasted mm-hmm. 
At times, she could be a little bit of an exposition dump. See, th- this might be an on-running theme. That's what I don't like about supporting characters is when they're just like the exposition exposition fool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like they're the clown in the court who's mm. got to explain everything. It was difficult to choose a kind of a worst in film for this because because ob- so, a lot of the time it's obvious and you know, they weren't as um, like they went up to par with the others. But it was difficult for me to choose a worst in film. Who would you go for then? <sighs> uh, maybe Matt Damon. Matt Damon? Yeah. No. I would probably say he went a little bit too kind of Sideshow Bob towards the end when he was having his <laughs> breakdown. <laughs> what was Sideshow Bob about it then? Um. Well, do you know when he's... When, in, do you mean in, when his, his mind cracked and he just kept saying yes over and over? Yeah. Like you know in his death scene as well when he's like, we have we have to consider <laughs> the possibility... And then he just blows... But, I, I actually thought that was really funny. Like he's in, he's in the middle. In clown college. <laughs> <laughs> he's in the middle of his monologue, isn't he? And he gets blown out of the airlock. Yeah, he suffers, I think that's rather funny because yeah, like no one wants to hear a long villain monologue in a film like that, do they? He gets syndromed, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> you slide dog. You got me monologuing. <laughs> you got me monologuing. It's funny that Matt Damon would have been probably considered to be an actor who you would have cast Might have in the been main role yeah. of this about 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Well, they're roughly probably meant to be the same age in this film, like mid-40s. Yeah. Aren't they? But I think Matt McConaughey had more gravitas to yeah. him than, than Matt Damon, I think, would have brought. What I, what I like about Matthew McConaughey, and I don't, don't think Matt uh, Matt Damon would have handled in this mm. film is that Matthew McConaughey has that vibe of like a a rough around the edges working every man yeah. sort of thing like the years of farming have sort of turned him into a bit of a hillbilly yeah but underneath it there's still that sort of pilot engineer spaceman Brilliant wanting minded. to get out yeah. yes yeah yeah yeah, maybe Matt Damon wouldn't have done that. So no, uh, but obviously, if you've seen The Martian, he's fantastic in his own sci-fi uh, uh, film. Yes, but that was literally uh, a one-man show for Matt Damon, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> and when you pit him up against other people, <laughs> I don't know. So, what about uh, best best supporting actor? Because we're very limited on supporting actors. I think probably the best and the worst has to go to Anne Hathaway because she has she has moments where I don't like that she's an expedition dump but I admittedly and it's not really my thing but I like the fact that she's a strong female in space oh. who's giving Matt McConaughey the beans. Yeah, yeah, but was she a strong female space character or was she like, I want to go to my boyfriend's planet? No, <laughs> she. I, I think she does what the admirable scientist would do and looks at it. She tries to. She tries to objectively look at it and says, "Oh well, I guess I have to." Well, I should tell you up front that we, I am in love with Doctor Edmonds. That my bow is here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But the sad reality of it is, if they'd have just gone to her planet f- as the first one, <laughs> babe, come over. I can't. I'm still on Earth, and you're for a wormhole. <laughs> my planet's inhabitable. Yeah, babe, I'm, I'm on my way. <laughs> I've got breathable air here. <laughs> Bring buds. So, what do we think about uh, Best Supporting Actor? I'll start off. Okay. I've mentioned her performance before, but I'm going to go with Mackenzie Foy. For right. Murph. Yeah. Uh, simply because it's such a treat to get an actual competent child actor who... <laughs> yeah, they, they did that very well, didn't they? Yeah. The direction yeah. was there, I think. More so, I liked her more than adult Murph. Really? Yeah. 
Oh no, come on. Uh, I think I think actually that was very good casting. They're very believable as the same person years on, weren't they? Sometimes yes. it's just Sometimes not believable it is a in a film. a little bit off and you think, really, that person became that person? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, I thought she uh, played especially off uh, Matthew McConaughey really well and... Um, and also she had a very uh, kind of nice kind of grandfatherly relationship with uh, Michael Caine. Yeah, yeah. It's a sort of surrogate grandfather, didn't she, mm. once her own grandfather yeah, died? Yeah, who kind of nourished yeah. her love for science and such. What about you? So at the same time that in Elements she was the worst, I think Anne Hathaway was the the best supporting actress, you know, Uh so she, she is simultaneously the worst and the best for you. <laughs> well, with this film, it's slim pickings. You've got to think about it that way. I think Christopher yeah. Nolan's made a In point. In the best way possible. Yeah. Yes, he's, he's made a point. And hats off to him. It was the right decision, I think, to not complicate this film any more than it needed to be. <laughs> but he's, he's done it so that with character development of the supporting cast, there are only really a few contenders. She she was basically the other designated astronaut that they were going to focus on. Yes. The other two, and, and I think rightly so, didn't get as much screen time. They didn't have their characters explored as much. Just because there's too much to fucking oh, go into. The, the astronaut who uh, had to remain on the ship when they went to the war, the water planet. And 23 years... Oh, his, oh God. It, his it, brilliant piece of acting mm. from him when they opened the, up the doors to the spaceship and he's just standing there with his grey hair and his yeah, blanket. Yeah. Just like, he's like, I waited. Back. I, I waited years. <laughs> oh, my God. He only expected them to be gone for two years as well. Can you imagine having to stay there for the psychological. Strain. Even. And yeah. then after that, he's just like, yep, let's do the next thing. Let's okay, go. Okay, cool. You're let's back go now. to the next planet. Right, here, off we go. <laughs> Some would say unbelievable, <laughs> but I would say. Although they do mention that is that. the elastic spirit of the human mind. Isn't it? They do mention as well, though, that he had uh, periods of time in stasis. Yeah, so that would help, wouldn't yeah. it? But. When you feel a little, when you when years. you feel the itch of madness behind your eyes, just go to sleep for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I just, I, I wake up. Feeling refreshed, and I don't feel like I want to kill people now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wonder what Space Wilson would be, because you know how Tom Hanks uh, had that <laughs> in, in in Castaway had that ball <laughs> Wilson, but like basically on on a space shuttle, everything is designed for a f- purpose and a function. But not only that, to be one hundred percent safe, so yes. you could you can't like cut anything. You can't make a fire out of anything because obviously fire in space bad. That's like the one thing they hate more than anything. Apart from water. So unless he's got like a pair of like safety scissors, he couldn't like fashion anything or do anything himself to make a Wilson, a I'm space just thinking Wilson. Of a, a, a pair of nail scissors. Like yeah. <laughs> googly eyes on. He might have even like, what I don't that, know. Wilson as, Jr.? As the years go by and his fingernails grow long, like clip his fingernails. And that's the only way you can get something pointy like a, enough to cut anything. Like a ball of fingernails as your companion. <laughs> that's all he's got. Or maybe he like, I don't know, tear up, if you tear up one of the space suits and then stuff it with your own hair over that period of time, that's what I'd do, maybe. And then draw a face on it. One further thing. What, what I love about Interstellar is in the great tradition of sci-fi, it, and this is an Arthur C. Clarke thing, it raises more questions, I think, than it answers. That is again another trope of sci-fi, isn't it? Yeah, you're meant to you're meant to be left with more questions than it answered. Um, sometimes that's done really shit, isn't it? Yes. And sometimes 
Yes, like you are it's left out. You, you, yes, like you are left uh, thinking about how do the massive spaceships operate that yeah. transported the human race off Earth. Yeah. What was even Earth's the time life paradox. like after after the the end of the film? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yes, and even the time paradox. How does that work? The time paradox that how. Could Matthew how McConaughey could, how, yes, how have could, sent messages to himself before leaving, or yeah, or how? Oh, how could, could the human he, yeah. race have evolved into the five dimensions if they didn't survive yeah. living off Earth? Yeah, and, yes, I mean, all yeah. these questions, and I, and I think actually, in keeping with the spirit of the film, I think part of this film's job is to inspire a generation of people to inspire to, a generation to, of scientists to get hot under the collar about space, isn't it? Yeah, oh, I love me some space. So little X A E. 19 Musk sitting yeah, in front yeah. of his TV screen with Daddy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, Daddy, can we watch Interstellar again? Of no. course we can, son. Because <laughs> I'm Elon Musk. <laughs> well, uh, with that all being said, and we are bringing an end to this episode. So just to mention once more, uh, we are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook under what handle, Thomas? No idea. <laughs> No idea. What's the name of the show, Tom? <laughs> the name of the show is Squabbling. Thank and you. we are on Instagram at Squabbling. Thank you. Fucking hell. <laughs> Twitter, Instagram and Facebook under Squabbling. So that is S-Q-U-A-B-L-I-N-G-S. And for the audience at home, what is our Gmail address, Thomas? I'm, I'm literally physically handing him a piece of paper. Hang on, I haven't got my glasses on. Oh, God. <laughs> you are... Old man. So send any future film requests to squabblingspodcast at gmail.com. And we might oblige you, we might not. But, you know, <laughs> you can feel like the lucky one. You're if not you special. <laughs> we might look at you, we might not. <laughs> and even if that film comes up, don't kid yourself. It might just have been because it was in the pipeline. <laughs> but <laughs> I love it. I love don't it. kid You've yourself, you special. Bedside but... banner. <laughs> <laughs> we might, We might have your request. We might not. And even if we do do it, it wasn't because of you. <laughs> <laughs> don't think you're special. <laughs> so from me, Charlotte. And me, Tom. This is Squabblings signing off. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.